0: KO's we are live episode 19 on this beautiful Thursday afternoon in the valley it's cooling down a little bit getting in the low 90s getting to the 80s and man am I loving that um the mornings the evenings here it is damn beautiful but we have one hell of a show and I mean one hell of an MMA show today especially with fight action being back We're recapping uh, UFC Fight Night Vegas 80, Bellator 300, the Dana White Contender Series finale, episode 10, and we are previewing a loaded, um, well, a pretty loaded Apex card compared to what's been happening lately. Uh, Another Apex card, there's been lots of Apex cards of late, and then we prepare next week for UFC in Abu Dhabi, and boy has there been chaos the past few days, so we're going to jump right into it, um, there's been some good fights announced, we have Brad Katona taking on Garrett Armfield at UFC 297, Ultimate Fighter alum, uh, double champ, first Ultimate Fighter double champ, uh, stepping into the octagon in Toronto, kicking off 2024, We have Wellington, Terman, and Jared Gordon December 2nd. That's going to be in Austin, UFC Austin official for the 1st of December. Um, Very good young and veteran talent going at it in UFC Austin. Excited to see how that card finishes out. We have Mario Batista and Ricky Simone, Uh, January 13th. We get the MMA Lab alum, Mario Batista, probably in his biggest fight of his UFC career thus far. He was supposed to fight Cody Garbrandt. Cody Garbrandt pulled out due to injury. But Ricky, he's been here for quite some time. Been in and out of the top 15. Probably a guy not a lot of people are signing up to fight for. And I think he's he's had some challenges getting fights booked. But he's taking on a very similar style of fighter And Mario Batista. Can't wait for that one to shake out, kicking off uh, the new year. We have Randy Brown, Muslim Salikov, UFC 296. I mean, that is just a certified banger. They keep adding to UFC 296. That card's getting insane. I have friends coming here uh, to come watch the Niners-Cardinals game. Come check out Arizona. Check out my new spot. And uh, if they weren't coming that weekend, I would 100% be going to Las Vegas to watch that card. Uh, Thought about coaxing them into a quick Vegas trip, but probably not going to make that happen. We have... uh, Gillian Robertson and Poliana Viana, UFC 297 in uh, Toronto. We'll be interested to see how Gillian, Gillian Gillian, with the G, it should be Gillian probably, not Jill. Gillian. Um, really excited to see her trying to return to form, and Poliana Viana looking to get some momentum as well. And then a little bit of the chaos has immense this week in matchmaking. We have Mark Andre Burial out of his fight against Michelle Pereira. So insert Andre Petroski. We have Derek Lewis in for Curtis Blades against Jay Almeida, November 4th. Curtis Blades uh, battling multiple injuries through fight camp. Couldn't make it in. Insert the new reinvigorated Black Beast, Derek Lewis, against a young Savage, man. Jayelton Almeida is a problem. That'll be intriguing. We have uh, Ruza out, so Kayao Baralho Baralho is taking on Abus Magomedov November November 4th on that same card. And then the aftermath of 297, the past two nights have been crazy. I was going to record this podcast yesterday, but I was heading to the uh, NLDS Diamondback playoff game. They are up 2-0 on the Dodgers, going for the series sweep. And uh, with traffic and everything, I wanted a little bit of an early head start. Didn't have enough time to record. Thought I'd be forcing the issue and and rushing through this and didn't want to do that either with all these storylines and topics to to chat about. Um, But quick tangent, yeah, the game was awesome. Um, Besides the WBC game that I went to, which was Mexico and USA, uh, this was the most I've seen uh, Chase Stadium packed for the Diamondbacks. Lots of D-backs fans, BLA chants going on all day. Dodgers fans were sour. It was exciting to see some actual support for an Arizona sport. You know, classic fair weather took till the playoffs to make that happen. Uh, But it shows that there is some actual D-backs fans out there. And, uh, you know, I was really concerned because I have not seen any passion for the sports teams out here, any excitement. Stadiums are quiet. It's super awkward, actually. You know, coming from Montana and Wyoming where... Sports is everything. the cultures die hard. The involvement with the fans, the chance, the pressure, the home field advantage. I went to my first ASU game against Colorado, the prime game, see on seeing Dion prime time out there, and all, all the, the glory that he brings. The game ended up being a down to the wire game. ASU fans when Colorado's on the field aren't even yelling or you know trying to give a home field advantage at all, the Colorado fans were louder, which was weird because wasn't a lot of them. We were sitting in the Colorado section. So just really weird vibes for the Arizona home sports. So the Diamondbacks gave me a little bit of hope for the the Arizona sports out here uh, with what I saw yesterday. And boy, was that shit a movie. Four home runs in an inning. First time in playoff history. Lance Lynn just throwing up BP out there. Um, And now I'm debatably thinking about catching an NLCS. It would be my first time catching a championship series semifinal playoff level game. Uh, will be either the Phillies or the Braves. We'll know a lot more once that game ha- kicks off here in about an hour. And uh, yeah, you know that would be right before I go to LA next weekend. Going to LA, Steelers, Rams. Go check out SoFi. See if the Steelers can keep the magic, uh, you know, ha- happening. Keep the momentum rolling. Go see a new stadium. Got the Steelers tailgate signed up for uh, Saturday night and Sunday. So. Lots of excitement in the sports world. NHL starting, NBA starting, NFL in action, MLB postseason. And then this news this week. Charles Oliveira doing five rounds of sparring the day before he flies to Abu Dhabi. Slices the shit out of his eye. I mean slices that puppy right open and uh, pulls out of the fight. So what now? Dana's on the phone calling Dustin Poirier. He said he's in. Asked uh, Justin Gaethje, can you fill in? Justin says, I can't make wait in time. He's panicking. Well, guess who gets back in? Alexander, the great Volkanovsky, short notice, in enemy territory, has a fight pretty much booked for UFC 297 in January. Says, not only will I take this fight, but I would still like to fight Ilya Taporia in Toronto, depending the outcomes, if I'm, you know, injury-free, In this fight, moving up a division again. And probably if he loses his fight, won't have a chance to fight Islam Makachev again. Willing to go for it because he's a fucking savage. I thought he won the the first fight. So just a ton of drama in that fight alone. And then earlier, a couple days before, Paula Costa posts a video, an image of his uh, staph infection surgery that he had, nasty staph infection on his elbow, People are in the comments like, yo, I've had the same thing. I was out a lot longer, blah, blah, blah. Well, the doctors were forced to pull, pull him out. He's getting another surgery because of the staff in his elbow. So Kamzat's without opponent. We're, we're not that far out. Someone's got to go to Abu Dhabi. Someone's got to go make weight. There's just so much involved. We'll insert another guy making his debut in a class above him, Kamaru, the Nigerian nightmare Usman, Two of the baddest dudes in the sport, uh, maybe two of the baddest dudes of all time, man, getting a chance to move up in weight classes, get a belt. You know, Volkanovsky wouldn't stay up, but Camaro is. And this is the fight that a lot of us MMA and UFC fans have been clamoring for for a long time. Before Leon Edwards defeated Kamaro Usman, um, everyone wanted to see Kamzat do it. We're getting it at a bigger weight class. There's so many variables with that. I think out is probably a little bit naturally bigger, but is bigger too. Kamara has a ton of five-round experience. He just doesn't have the fight camp prep, but him, Trevor Whitman, and crew, I'm sure they're going to uh, put an awesome game plan, and I honestly can't wait. I think this fight is better than the original fight. You know, no no discredit to Paula Costa, but this is the fight fight fans want. I'm going to be driving to LA early that morning, Uh, trying to beat traffic so that I could get into my hotel, checked in, get to the tailgate before the chaos of LA traffic and just be stuck on the road. And the prelims kick off early, right? Prelims are at 7 a.m. I got to be watching. I'm going to be making some bets. The main card's starting at like 11. So I might ask my friend to drive a little bit, watch some of the fights on the go, man. This is chaos. This reminds me of the chaos that happened with the Nate Diaz, Comzat, Tony Ferguson card. Kevin Holland with all the different matchmaking last minute. Amazing sport. The chaos following the drama on social media. Woo-wee! What a week in the UFC. We have Ray Cooper the III um, taking on Derek Brunson in middleweight November 24th for the PFL. Uh, that's going to be interesting to see uh, Derek Brunson get a middleweight fight before he moves up as he's going to be fighting in light heavyweight and Ray Cooper's a dog, so a uh, fun little action for the PFL. I think that's the same card that will be the championships for their million dollars. Um, and I believe that's happening in D.C. I thought it was going to be MSG, but it's in D.C. And then there's even more drama in the world of drama, and this is the reason these fights happen. Getting clicks, getting views, creating storylines. I'm curious of how much of this shit is actually valid. But well, who we is there some gas on what's happening here? We have the KSI-Tommy Fury fight in England on Days in Pay-Per-View with the co-main event, Logan Paul, Dylan Dennis. Today was media day. I'm kind of happy I'm recording the pod this week because uh, on Thursday, I like to do it on Tuesday, put it out Wednesday. I want to have the contender series. I want to have the crazy 297 uh, or the 294 issues that happen until next week and it would have been... You know, lost, lost a little bit of luster there. But during the media, Logan Paul throws water or something at Dylan. Dylan comes in and smacks him, slices his eye. It doesn't seem that serious. People are like, oh, we might have to pull out. now. he's going to fight. There's the drama with his girlfriend. Dylan's been throwing people under the bus. Uh, Dylan's been on a bunch of podcasts telling his story of really what's happened and why he hasn't fought. Um, you know, he's being sued, which is like fight law. Logan's breaking fight law. There's just so much drama. I can't even keep up. This is like an episode of TMZ. You know, I'm not into that thing, into that kind of stuff, but I will tune in for the fights potentially. Um, I'll probably be tailgating. So might try to stream it on a phone or something. Uh, but, uh, some major, major stuff. I want to go on YouTube after this, or I have jujitsu tonight after that and, and see what the media day fully played out as I just saw a couple things on Instagram, uh, but I'm sure a lot of you tuning in love that shit. This shit's popular. I, it's not my cup of tea. I stick with the UFC, but uh, it's fun to kind of check in here and there. In the grappling world, some awesome headlines for me, who's a, a diehard MMA guy doing jiu-jitsu myself. We have the first ADCX1 event happening. It's a promotion, I believe, that they're doing in Abu Dhabi, star-studded cards, October 20th, so eight days away. We have Neiman Gracie, Benson Henderson in a Nogi matchup. I believe that's the main event. Love me some Benson Henderson. That's going to be fun. We have Marvin Vittori taking on Tariq Suleiman in Nogi, uh, which is interesting because Marvin actually got called up for the Kamzat fight. He declined. It might be because he already had this planned, but he was already going to be in Abu Dhabi. So that would have made a lot of sense. Uh, we have Marcin Held versus Guram Kutateladze in Nogi. I've never seen Guram grapple. I know he's got some abilities, so it'll be fun to see because he is one of the most crisp strikers I've ever seen and a guy I really like to watch fight. We also have Polaris 26th on November 4th. We're getting Craig Jones and Gerald Mearshart, which will be an interesting grappling affair. Gerald just lost to Andre Petroski. I believe they're a little bit bigger. not sure what the weight classes are here. So I'm interested to see how he does against Craig Jones, another ex-UFC fighter. Molly McCann taking on Julia Scardone. So look forward to those grappling events. We'll be recapping those as they come up. Also, no surprise here, but Paul Felder has re-entered the USADA pool, re-entered um, the, the UFC roster stuff, and he wants to return for one fight at UFC 300. I know fans have been clamoring for him against Jim Miller, another OG veteran, Uh, but it'll be interesting to see how Paul Felder does and return that UFC 300 card is going to be chaos. I'm assuming Conor McGregor. I'm assuming Paul Felder. I I I talked about Ronda Rousey potentially fighting there, so there's going to be lots of drama on how that shakes out. And then the UFC is expanding their global footprint. They're heading to Riyadh. Saudi Arabia, March 2nd of 2024 for a fight night card. I have no idea if it's spelled or if it's pronounced Riyadh, Riyadi, it's R-I-Y-A-D-H. Never been to Saudi Arabia, don't have plans anytime soon, but that's badass. And I always am interested to see how the fight fans interact uh, in, in those countries and seeing if they're actually educated on how MMA and UFC works. So um, stay tuned for that. But this weekend, we had Bellator 300 in San Diego. Uh, The main event, Usman Nurmagomedov, defeated Brett Primus via unanimous decision. He enters the Grand Prix finale, retains his title, and he did it pretty easily. I mean, Brett Primus, he's tough, durable, grappler. I think he's like 38, so a little bit older. Usman's in his prime, undefeated, hard to hit you know, had great defense, pretty much looked like he was sparring out there, kind of piecing up Brent, getting the shots he wanted, wasn't super overly aggressive. And it wasn't a super flashy fight. I was really excited to see what Usman was going to do. I was expecting a finish. That wasn't the case. Uh, But with the whole PFL buying Bellator thing and them dissolving Bellator, I'm really interested to see what happens with guys like Usman. I think him, uh, what's the light heavyweight champion for Bellator? God, I'm blanking. Bellator right, with... Vadim Nemkov. See, I, didn't, I almost Googled it. Didn't even get there. A couple of these guys, I think, would be very qualified to come into the UFC, and I'd be really intrigued on how they compete. Um, I know that the drug testing and things like that are quite different from each promotion, so there's just a lot of drama with that. But I would love to see Usman. I like to watch his fights. That fight wasn't it. Speaking of fight that wasn't it, uh, two OGs, Chris Cyborg defeats Kat Zingano via round one TKO. And this was just straight abuse. Uh, Cyborg still has got power. Kat Zingano didn't look like she belonged there. We had uh, Liz Carmouche defeat Alima Leigh McFarland via round five TKO, but it was an injury TKO. So Liz Carmouche keeps her winning ways. We had Leah McCourt defeat Sarah McMahon, two ex UFC women. Uh, Via round one, TKO was able to defend the grappling, get some grounded pound, get the finish. Great win for Liam McCourt. And then we had uh, a fun split decision. Kai Kamaka defeating Henry Corrales via split decision. I mean, this was about as close as a fight can get. Razor thin each round. No one really was super overly aggressive. They're on big winning streaks, moving up in the rankings. And uh, I was looking to see a little bit more, more oomph in the fight. Uh, But it was still a very close fight. Well done. I actually thought Henry Corrales won that fight real time, but I was rooting for Kai Kamaka, so not mad about it. And then we, of course, have to bring up Wyoming alum, MMA lab trainer, trainee. Bryce Misfit Meredith gets another win to stay undefeated. Uh, Defeats Miguel Pembert, via unanimous decision. It seems like Bryce just keeps getting these tough, scrappy guys who aren't technical fighters uh, that are willing to you know withstand some damage, keep going, good cardio. And uh yeah, Bryce, I think he's 5 and 0 now. Definitely learning, still trying to properly get those punches down. He, he he's a big solid guy for the weight class. When it comes to wrestling and getting a takedown, I mean, it's effortless. He's double blasting these guys, lifting them up, single leg, high uh, running the pipe. It's just way too easy. Uh, He just needs to work on his boxing a little bit, get crisper, turn his punches over, really sit on his punches, get the jab going, and um, I I don't know if he trains jiu-jitsu or not to be honest, but there was a ton of opportunities for a head and arm triangle, like multiple. You know, that's what my go-to right now in jiu-jitsu. I'm a smash and pass guy coming with a little bit of a wrestling background, you know. Not a background to brag about, but for these jiu-jitsu guys that don't know wrestling, I have an advantage smash it past, try to move through the guard, um, get some side control, and sink in that arm triangle. And he had Henry Corral, or not Henry Corralis, Pimber up against the cage, his arms here, and he just kept moving side control. I mean, he could flow from being in a guard, side control, to mount very well. You know, he's able to do reversals in those 50-50 positions really well. But man, I just kept being like, that arm triangle's right there, that arm triangle's right there. And I don't know, maybe he doesn't want to submit him. I know he's looking for a, a knockout, you know, he's a kind of a prize fighter for Bellator, a good grappler, trying to make his move. I'm sure he'd love to go to the UFC and he wants those flashy performances. You know, he trains with Sean O'Malley. That's how he's made a living. So I don't know if he, it's, it wasn't that he wasn't aware of that or if he was just looking for those highlight moments. And then moving on to the contender series, the season finale With the contracts uh, provided in this episode, it is a record-breaking season. 46 contracts, beating the previous record of 43. So lots of new uh, new UFC talent coming from this season. And the first fight put on one hell of a highlight. We had an amazing knee knockout by Lucas Roca. He had a victory over Davi Betancourt. After being taken down six times in the first round, second round, the guy was coming in, and he just, boom, placed the perfect L, uh, knee and shut the lights out. He kind of did one of those stiff things and fell back. Uh, you love to see it. And then the next fight, his teammate, uh, Markel Maderos had a first-round knockout via a knee over Isos Isakov at lightweight. So apparently those guys are, are training. If a guy is level changing or they're moving in, put that knee right up the pipe, got two quick knockouts, and you're like, oh boy, tonight's off to the races, well, then after that, we had a decision fight, uh, two decision fights back to back, we had Yuri Panfarov with a fight against Torres Finney, ex, uh, football player, built like a brick shithouse, Chaos Williams, um, Khalil Roundtree Jr. type, just fucking shredded, thick, fucking solid, like a fucking ox, and, uh, In his highlights, he just was shown just lifting people up, and he has the air nickname of just slamming people. Just relentless blast doubles, picking guys up, trying to slam them. His opponent was a little long and lanky and was uh, uh, able to avoid those slams. And when he was going in for those blast doubles, he was getting some elbows, some grounded pound on him that it it looked like it might cost him. But then he was able to get his back, tried for a rear naked, couldn't get it, kept battling, kept battling couple of reversals, then got the rear naked finish, but Dana White did not give Finney the contract, said he needs a little bit more expertise, a little bit more experience, a little bit more uh, octagon time, and I'm not necessarily opposed to that, but the week before he gave a guy a contract who brutally got beaten down, um, and uh, I don't feel like deserved to be in the UFC at all, so uh, some weird logic sometimes, uh, but yeah, watch out for Torres Finney, guy's fucking an animal. And then we had a really wild fight between Connor Matthews and Jair Farias at featherweight. Matthews ended up winning via unanimous decision. Um, Farias damn near had a knockout in first round. Really tall, lanky guy for featherweight. Um, I'm really interested to see how his career progresses, although he didn't win here. Um, He he looks like he could be a problem on the feet. And then in the... um, Next fight, we had Lima winning uh, via unanimous decision and getting a contract. And the finale, Ramon Tavares had a round one knockout, 29 seconds in at bantamweight. Fantastic knockout, getting a contract. And Dana White was hyping up Lima and flyweight, who won via unanimous decision. His opponent really wasn't game to fight, wasn't coming at him. You know, he was kind of egging him on, but I think he's only 24 years old or something like that. So, really fun episode Really great season, lots of contracts, and uh, lots of new talent to break down on bows and TKOs coming up. But Let's talk about UFC Fight Night Vegas 80. I went 4-3 and three in my picks this week, so we're 97-61-1 one one with bows and TKOs 19 episodes deep. Some good fights we did not break down. We had Nate Maness with a round one TKO over Matus Mendonca, a performance of the night, 50G performance and uh, Mateus was definitely trying to get those leg locks and deal deal with the the BJJ that he has, but I think it put him in some bad positions, and uh, I think he kind of exerted himself trying to do that too much, and Nate Maness was able to find uh, uh, the opening to get the TKO ground-and-pound finish, but Mateus, Dana White Contender Series alum, kid's a savage. I'm sure he's going to have a great career and then drama before the fight, we had Felipe leans pulling out versus, uh, Jan Kutalaba. Dana White said in the post event press conference that Kutalaba was paid. Um, I know Felipe had some issues with weight cutting. The doctors checked him out. They cleared him, but he wasn't feeling good. Still pulled out of the fight. So interested to see how his, his UFC career goes when shit like that happens. Dana is usually not a fan favorite of them. And, uh, Kutalaba is really excited to see the Hulk back in the Octagon, so hopefully he gets a fight booked soon. I would like that fight to get rebooked. I was super pumped for that fight, actually. But we're going to kick it off. We had Montana De La Rosa with unanimous decision over J.J. Aldrich. And, uh, excuse me, J.J. Aldrich with a unanimous decision win over Montana De La Rosa. And J.J. was just beating her with a jab, man. Just tough, jabbing her, jabbing her, jabbing her, bloodied her nose, bruised up her face. I expected Montana, these two tra- have trained together, uh, Elevation Fight Team, Team Elevation. And um, I expected Montana to want to get the takedowns more. JJ said she expected that, did not do it. She wanted to outstrike her. It looked like she just was kind of hesitant on pulling the trigger. And every time she went to get in, JJ is just stuffing her with that jab. And she was out. Able to outbeat, you know, outstrike her over the course of three rounds and get the decision pretty much purely off that. So um, statistically, Montana landed 70 total strikes, 67 of those significant. She only had one takedown attempt and was Ofer. It was really late in the fight and she's gassed. JJ landed 66 total strikes, 65 of those significant. And this is a big win for JJ getting back on track. Very tough loss for Montana in her prime after the journey she's been through. It's a tough break. So Montana extends her losing streak to three. She now hasn't won since June of 2021. JJ extends her winning streak to two, and she is three and two since 2022. So what's next? We get JJ versus Joanne Wood. I think that would be a classic fight for the veteran. Uh, I'm actually surprised they haven't fought each other before. And for uh, Montana, if she is still in the UFC, you get in a fight skid like that sometimes. It's just... You're, you're SOL, but she is in the women's side of things. They're not as deep. It's like the light heavyweight division. They get a little bit more love. So how about Marine, um, Marina Moroz? I think that would be a great fight. Moving on. What a show, uh, performance show out for Carolina Kowalsowicz. Unanimous decision over Diana Belbita. I mean, she just put on a striking clinic, out volume the shit out of Diana, and uh, mixed things in well. Although she did not have success with the grappling, I think it's just crazy watching the way Carolina has improved after a long skid. You know, she's in a late part of her career. She's not in her prime anymore. Now in the top 15 rankings, fighting a very good Belbita, very long, rangy Belbita, who's young, on her way up, and just... Just showed out, man. Uh, the striking was great. Up against this, the um, octagon was great, and I think the takedowns with anything just kept Diane on her, you know, thinking about potential takedown attempts. Statistically, Carolina landed 155 total strikes, 141 of those significant. She had one takedown in six attempts, so not very good, but you know, a little mixed bag of tricks per se, and a reversal. Diana landed 108 total strikes, 99 of those significant. She had two takedowns. She was two for two and a reversal of her own. So Carolina's on a roll, man. She's up, her winning streak's up to four and she moves up one spot in the rankings to number 14. Diana starts a new losing streak. She is one and two since 2022. So what's next for these women? For Carolina, I think a fight with Angela Hill are a, a, a fight against the winner of Angela Hill and Denise Gomes seems like a no-brainer, especially if Angela wins that fight. Again, for all the things and, and records that these two women have and how long they've been in the sport, it seems like they're pretty evilly matched. And uh, the fact that they have not fought each other is pretty crazy. So I would love to see Angela Hill against Carolina, but if Denise wins, that's not a bad fight either. And for Diana, how about Bruna Brazil? That would be the fight that makes sense. Jumping into the main card, we had Bill Algeo with the unanimous decision victory over Alexander Hernandez. It's one of the fights I got wrong. And Bill just outstruck uh, Alexander. Alexander had the power advantage. And when he hit, he, he, he hit clean. But he wasn't overly aggressive you know, that's kind of cost him and got him knocked out a few times is just being overly aggressive with his power, especially because he's a little bit shorter, a little bit uh, shorter length as well. You got to really explode to get up there and hit the, the target. And uh, Bill wasn't letting that happen. He was moving, he was cl- uh, swift on his feet, and he was just piecing up Alexander. And every time he came in, he was eating shots, a good amount of leg kicks as well. Bill Algeo just su- keeps surprising people, man. He's had some great wins. I mean, let's look at his last few fights here. I feel like we might have done this last week too, but I mean, this guy just keeps doing his things. 34, he's, you know, at the edge of his prime. He has now beaten TJ Brown and Alexander Hernandez this year. Lost to Andre Feely, beat Herbert Burns, beat Joe Anderson Brito, lost to Ricardo Ramos, beat Spark Carlisle, lost to Ricardo Ramos, two of those. uh, Lost to Brendan Lognane coming in the contender series. But he's fighting the best of his ability right now. He's going to be a problem. Statistically, Alexander only landed 76 total and 75 significant strikes. He was 0 for 1 in takedown attempts. Compared to Bill's 119 total, 110 significant. He had the takedown and the knockdown. I mean, he he was just he was in the moment that night and, and looked great. Alexander needed to be a little bit more aggressive, but I kind of get it. You know, he's probably been coached to be less aggressive. Um, But you got to win the rounds if it's going to a a scorecard. So Alexander starts a new losing streak. He moves to two and four since 2021. Bill extends his winning streak to two, both in 2023. He has four and one since 2022. He's rolling. He's active. Watch out for Senor Perfecto, Bill Algio, 34 years old from Philly. She. What's next? Um, Al Gio said my callouts never work. He gave up a handful of names, but after the fight, I'm looking for the Billy Q fight, man. I think that would be perfect. Uh, Billy on X, I always want to call it Twitter, but on X said he's down. So I'm hoping that's the fight that happens. And for Alexander, a fight with Sungwoo Choi. I think that would make a lot of sense. Very good fight. A ton on the line for those guys. And then we had the Drew Dober show. Just fucking came out and straight flatlined Ricky Glenn for a round one knockout performance of the night. Keep those lightweight finishes and records coming, Drew Dober. I mean, it only took Drew 30 total insignificant strikes. He was coming in, throwing power, putting in combos, and you knew the finish was coming. He, he smelt blood in the water. He wasn't too chaotic. He threw enough and, and, and hit his target most of the time, uh, and he had the knockdown. Ricky only got off five total and significant strikes. He was 0 for 1 in takedown attempts. So Drew starts a new winning streak. He moves to 4-1 since 2022. Ricky extends his losing streak to 2 and hasn't won since June of 2021. So Drew needs to be fighting in the top 15. I I think he deserves it. How about Drew Dober, Jalen Turner? That's going to be a scrap. And for Ricky, he could fight Godsey, Rob Adonov, that is if he's still going to be fighting, he had a lot of time off, takes an L like that, and you don't really know where the future is for him. And then uh, 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 Joaquin Buckley, unanimous decision over Alex Morano. Boy, does he look home in this new weight class in welterweight. Alex Morano is a shifty, unorthodox fighter. Good movement, good head movement. Comes at you at different angles, right? A lot of striking, you have technical strikers that is very straight. He's very kind of like, he finds a way to be on his toes where maybe I punch here, I come here, now I'm punching at a different angle. So he has a very weird fighting style that's hard to prepare for. And it didn't phase Buckley at all. Um, We talked about the overaggression of Alexander. Buckley's been bitten by the overaggressiveness, especially in the bigger weight class um, where where guys are a little bit naturally bigger than him, although he's fucking shredded. Um, you know, just being big with muscle can tire you out. Um, he looked at home throughout three rounds. He looked the best conditioning he's ever been in. Um, he put on a great display. I would have loved to see a finish. He he landed some clean shots on Alex and almost put the lights out, but Alex is a dog. He's tougher than people give him credit for. But Buckley looked like a dog in this fight, man. 77 total strikes, 68 of those significant. He had two takedowns and four attempts. Alex landed 54 total strikes, 40 of those significant. He did have a takedown in two attempts. So Buckley extends his winning streak to two. He is four and two since 2022. And Alex starts a new losing streak and is two and two since 2022. Now, I would love to see Buckley take on Chaos Williams. That would be fucking bonkers. And for Alex, how about Phil Rowe? Either way, the middle... Pack in the welterweight. I'm talking like 15 to 30 is a lot of fun. There is not a lack of fights to be made. And then in the co-main event, we had Joe Pfeiffer. With <laughs> my Invisalign sometimes, it's just my pronunciations, man. Pfeiffer with a round two submission via yours truly favorite submission, arm triangle, over Abdul Razak Al Hassan. And these are two dudes... One shot could put the lights out. You could tell they were calculated. They respected each other in the first round, much like I said, would probably happen. In round round two, they let loose a little bit. Joe picking up Abdul, slamming him down. I mean, his grappling looks on point. He's manhandling people out there and was able to get in, get the submission. Um, Abdul kind of did a weird, like let's imagine Joe's on top of me. He was like tapping, but his fist was closed, I think. And he ended up getting the lights out. Uh, you got to have a flat hand, you know, you got to actually tap. The, the ref didn't see it, and he was out cold, man. Uh, but Joe put on a performance, only took 26 total and significant strikes. He's got three takedowns and four attempts. Again, he was he was getting those at will, and he had the two submission attempts. Abdul only landed 11 total and significant strikes and a submission attempt. So Joe extends his winning streak to five. He's 4-0 in the UFC. And Abdul starts a new losing streak. He is one and two since 2022. Not super active, a little tough skid there Uh, But Joe talked in his post-fight interview about um, wanting to get paid more. Dana said they're negotiating contracts. I expect him to be fighting, you know, top 15 level people after this performance. And, uh, you know, he talked about anybody can do anything. He's come from rags, You know, bottom of the barrel rags to riches story. Um, Rocking the America flag, USA baby, and a cool little post-fight speech. Anyone could do it, you know. Look at it, you know. I was scared. Abdul's a problem. He could put anyone's lights out. You got to be careful out there. But I'm gonna do what I got to do, and I knew I was the better man. Um, gotta love it, Joe Piper. Full of momentum, man. So you want to talk about momentum? You want to talk about a scrap? Book this banger right now, Joe Piper, Gregory. Robocop Rodriguez, you want to talk about chaos, man? Woo wee! Don't blink. And for Abdul, let's let's put another painter up. Abdul and Cheedy Noquani, man. That would be bonkers. Again, not a lack of fights in this division. And then how about the main event? I do not know one person that thought this might be the outcome, but Bobby King Green shocking the world. Round one knockout over Grant Dawson. Performance of the night. That's what Bobby does. Another fifty G's. Probably get some bling. Roll some bleezies. Um, boy, did he land a clean shot? Just sat Grant on his ass. Um, I I thought this fight might showcase a little bit more striking from Grant, and we could see how he hand, you know, how he could hang against good strikers like Bobby, because Bobby is so underrated. I think not a lot of people think of him as one of the best. Let alone, I think he's in the toughest, deepest, most highlighted division in UFC history and lightweight. He holds the records for most significant strikes, most total strikes landed. That's impressive. Go look at all the history lightweights, man. I mean, we're talking the Khabibs, the Conor McGregors, uh, GSP. We're talking BJ Penn. We're talking dudes. Bobby Green's got that record. His natural fighting style is hand speed. He holds him low. You can't see him coming. Bink! He landed it on Grant Dawson. Grant Dawson talked coming in. Uh, He he saw Bobby on bully beatdown, and and Bobby hit him up in his DM, said keep the fighting dream alive. Well, he learned a lesson today. You know, a lot of the last few fights Grant has had against good quality strikers, he's went straight for the takedown. Well, you got to set up the takedown. He didn't get that chance. Bobby Green, ladies and gentlemen. It only took him seven total and significant strikes. He extends his winning streak to two. I think it should be three. He he clearly was on his way to beating Jared Gordon. They called it no contest, accidental clash of heads. Uh, I think that's a bunch of malarkey, but he does enter the top 15 again. He's back. Number 13. He has four, three, and one since 2021. Eight fights since 2021. Fighters ain't doing that ish. Him, Kevin Holland, and some other dudes, but not very many on the roster. He wants to fight in December. Dana, make it happen, man. So Grant starts a new losing streak. That ends his 11-fight winning streak. He moves down five spots in the rankings to number 15. So what is next? Well, there's been rumors circulating on the web. Bobby called about who he would like. Just let's, let's book the Dan Hooker fight, man. That's the fight to make. Golly, could you imagine? And for Grant, how about a fight against another young stud, Joel Alvarez? That would be fantastic. Now that sets us up for another fight night this weekend. UFC Fight Night Vegas 81. Same start as last week on ESPN Plus at 4 p.m. Pacific for the main card. And some fights we won't break down. We have Terrence McKinney on a short notice fight against Brendan Murat. I think he accepted yesterday or maybe the day before. He'd been looking for a late fill-in because of the injury. And then Ashley Yoder coming back after two years out, taking on a very good Emily Ducate. So tune into those. We're not breaking them down. We're going to start in the prelims. We got Chris El Guapo Gutierrez, 32-year-old fighter with a 19-4-2 record and the number 15 next to his name, taking on Alatangeli, the Mongolian knight, 31 years old with a 16-8-1 record. It's always interesting these dudes have one name. Alatangeli... I'm guessing that's how it is, but it's probably all Gali. uh I don't even know. I don't even I'm just going to stop. All right. So a little bummed about this. Chris was scheduled to fight Montel Jackson, but he does get a new opponent who's in his prime at 31 years old on four days notice. And that always makes for a little bit of chaos, right? Breaking it down. Chris trains out of factory X. He's a brown belt in BJJ. He's on a one-fight losing streak, but is 4-1 since 2022. He is an LFA Bellator and World Series of Fighting alum. Nine of his 19 wins are via knockout. And he does have a 4-inch reach advantage in this fight. Now, Alatang, he has a freestyle wrestling background. He trains out of Fight Ready with Henry Cejudo, He's on a two-fight winning streak. He did have a draw. He technically won the fight, but got a point deducted uh, for grabbing the fence, so he's a cheater. I'm just kidding. Uh, Three of his eight losses are via knockout. Now, this is going to be an interesting fight. You know, both men are in their window where they they need to be making moves, get a run-up in the rankings, uh, have their best shot at reaching as high as they can in the rankings, opportunity for a title shot. I think Alatang's definitely going to look to get Chris down. But Chris, man, he has some power strikes, those leg kicks. alatang has been knocked out a time or two before. I think he's going to find his mark, especially coming off a loss. I'm taking Chris. I'll put an El Guapo on my parlay. We marking that ish down, and we getting that bread. Moving on. I think this is a, nick- a new nickname, by the way. But we have TJ, Downtown Brown. 33 years old with a 17 and 10 record, taking on Darren the Damage Elkins. 27, uh, 39 years old with a 27 and 11 record. Now, this is going to be an interesting scrap. We get two durable, uh, hungry, scrappy fighters. I mean, these guys are straight scraps. That's, if you're like, well, what are these guys' style? Just scrappy and just willing to get dirty. You know what I mean? They're not the most technical dudes. But that makes for a fun fight. Now, TJ, he trains out of glory MMA. He has a black belt in BJJ. His last two fights have been fight of the night or performance of the night. He is a contender series LFA and RFA alum. He's on a one-fight losing streak, but is 2-2 since 2022. And 10 of his 17 wins are via submission. Now, Darren trains out of Team Alpha Male. He has a D2 wrestling background out of Wisconsin Parkside. He has the most unanimous decision wins in UFC featherweight history with nine. The most takedowns landed in UFC featherweight division history with 54. He has the most submission attempts in UFC featherweight division history with 22. And he had the 2017 comeback of the year against Mursad Bektik. He's on a one-fight losing streak and is 2-2 two two since 2021. Nine of his 27 wins are via knockout, and four of his 11 losses are also via knockout. So as I say, to knock out or to be knocked out. Now, again, these guys aren't the most technical dudes, but they use their striking well to set up takedowns. Darren literally is the damage. He is taking a ton of damage in 2022. And I think that's why he hasn't fought so far this year in 2023. You know, wait until October. I do think TJ is going to have the durability and cardio advantage. You know, Darren's got freaking scar tissue everywhere. He's a bleeder. Plus, TJ's in his prime, man. I think he's going to empty the tank, try to get the finish. If he does empty the tank, though, and Darren's still hanging around, he could get in trouble. That's where the damage... Does well. He's like the freaking Undertaker. But I am taking TJ. I'm putting him on that parlay. We marking that ish down, and we getting that bread. Moving on in the main card, we have Christian C. Rod Rodriguez, 25 years old with a nine and one record, taking on Cameron M.S.P. Salmon, 22 years old with an undefeated nine and zero record. Now, I'm stoked for this fight. Two intriguing prospects in a super deep Bantamweight division. I mean, you get guys like this that are highly talented at 25 years old, 22 years old. I mean, this division is fantastic. Now, both fighters are also coming off the best wins of their careers, and they're looking to continue to stack that up, level up like your fucking Mario. Now, Christian, he trains at a Rofu sport. He's on a two fight winning streak and has two and one since 2022. Excuse me, he is two and one in the UFC. He is a contender series Cage Fury, Cage Fury, LFA, and Bellator alum. It's crazy he's done all that at 25. A lot of these promotions, though, you do one fight, move on. Four of his nine wins are via submission, and he does have a four and a half inch reach advantage and a two and a half inch leg reach advantage. Cameron is a Dana White Contender Series alum. He's undefeated on a nine fight winning streak and he is four and in the UFC. Six of his nine wins are via knockout. Now, both fighters are going to be evenly matched strikers, I think. I think Cameron will have the power advantage, but I think Christian's going to mix in uh, grappling, try to push Cameron to his limit. You know, he's 22, he's undefeated. He hasn't been there, been in the deep waters yet. And I think Christian's going to have that in his game plan. That's what he did with Raul Rosas Jr. when he got the victory after a sh- fucking wild first round of just straight offense by Raul, as he typically does. So I'm betting that C-Rod pieces him up through 15 high pace minutes, makes him dig deep, dr- drags him down to the depths of the fight world in the octagon. For that reason, I am taking C-Rod. I am putting him on that parlay. We marking that ish down, and we getting that bread. Moving on. We got Michelle, the De Demolidor Pereira, 30 years old with a 28-11 record, taking on Andre Petrosky, 32 years old with a 10-1 record. Another short-notice fill-in fight. That's the world of fighting injuries. The UFC, like I said, will match people up before it's signed uh, to force the issue. But Mark andre Barriol had to pull out, was super pumped for that fight. But insert Andre, um, you know, I think this is going to be a big advantage for Michelle. He's been prepping for the Cardio King and Power Bar. That's going to prep him against Andre. Um, I think Andre probably saw the opportunities. Like, I'm just going to wrestle Pereira, get him down, grind him out, and find a path to victory. He can't hang with me on the ground. Uh, So that's my assumption. Breaking it down, Michelle has a black belt in BJJ though, so you got to watch out. Black belt in Karate. He is on a five fight winning streak, and he is a jungle fight alum. Ten of his 28 wins are via knockout. Now Andre has a wrestling background. He trains at Lorenzo Gracie Philly. He has a brown belt in BJJ. He is an LFA and ultimate fighter alum. And he is on a five-fight winning streak. I didn't think his last fight was that impressive. But I do think Michelle is going to have the striking advantage. Although Andre is probably more of a technical striker. Michelle's just wild, dude. You never know. He's going to do a cartwell kick or fucking spinning front kick or some crazy shit. Um, And Andre is a fighter you really can't train. um, Excuse me. Michelle is really a fighter you can't train for. You can't prep for that kind of offensive attack especially on short notice without a full fight camp. So again, I'm pretty positive. Andre's going to be looking to get takedowns early and often. So as long as Michelle can defend majority of them or get some of his jiu-jitsu going down on the ground, I do expect him to win on the scorecards. He's improved a lot with the grappling. Now, um, I do think he will have the advantage of being in better shape and having the full fight camp. For that reason, I am taking Michelle DeMolidor-Pereira. We putting them on that parlay, we marking that ish down, and we getting that bread. Whoo wee! I already forgot this fight was happening, and boy, is this a bantamweight banger! We get Jonathan the Dragon Martinez, 29 years old with an 18 and 4 record, and the number 13 next to his name, taking on Adrian Yanez, 29 years old with a 16 and 4 record and the number 14 next to his name. In the UFC, especially other fighting promotions, it's not very often where you get two fighters in their primes. They're 29 years old. They're literally just entering their prime. Where they're at the kind of same stage in their fighting career. 16 and four, 18 and four, number 13, number 14. You know, similar trajectory of of promotions coming in. This has fight of the night potential written all over it. I think it's going to be an insanely high-paced kickboxing affair, so don't blink and make sure to tune in. Now, Jonathan trains out of Factory X. He has a blue belt in BJJ. He is a legacy FC alum. He is on a four-fight winning streak, and eight of his 18 wins are via knockout. Now, Andre, or <laughs> Andre, Adrian has a boxing style. He is an orthodox fighter, he has a black belt in BJJ, and he's become a fan favorite for this reason. Four of his last six fights have been fight of the night or performance of the night. He puts on boxing clinics, and fans love it. He has a Contender Series, Fury FC, Legacy FC, Bellator, and LFA alum, and 10 of his 16 wins are via knockout. Now, Jonathan is a very good striker. When it comes to straight boxing, obviously, I think Yanez's ability has a slight advantage. He's been in the octagon with higher-level fighters as well than Jonathan. I think the experience Giannis has mixed with the ability to get a finish is going to pay huge dividends. Now, Martinez, he has nasty leg kicks, him and Chris Gutierrez both. Uh, I think that's going to be his path to victory, I think he's going to have to keep him at range with those kicks. I think Giannis is coming off a tough round one knockout against Rob Font, and I think that's really going to have him hungry, have him prepared, back to the drawing board, look to innovate a little bit, and I think he's going to be better than ever. A similar fighter that they fought recently, both men fought Davy Grant in 2021. Adrian had the split decision victory. That was a fight of the night, and Jonathan lost via round two knockout. It kind of gives you an even playing field matchup there. I do think Adrian's going to find the spot. Would not be shocked if Jonathan won, won this fight whatsoever. I am taking Adrian Yanez, but I am not putting him on a parlay if possible. Fucking scrap, though. I can't wait for that fight. And then we have Jennifer Maya, 35-year-old fighter with a 21-9-1 record and the number nine next to her name take it on Vivian Vivi Ara. Uh, Ara- I, I did this last time. I know her name and how to pronounce it, but when you look at it on paper, it, it fucks you up. Vivian Araujo. Araujo. That's A-R-A-U-J-O. But when you look at it, Araujo, <laughs> you know what I mean? So Araujo, uh, Vivian Araujo, 36 years old, 11 and 5 record, and the number 11 next to her name. This is a great fight. Very great fight. It's a co main event for a reason. One of the more important fights of these women's career where they're at. Uh, 35 for Maya, 36 for Vivian. And uh, there's just so much on the line. It is going to be a fantastic matchup. Breaking it down, Jennifer has a BJJ boxing and Muay Thai style. She trains with a bunch of dogs at a shoot box academy. She has a black belt in BJJ, a black belt in Muay Thai. She is a brave Invicta and Invicta alum and former champion with two successful title defenses. She's on a two fight winning streak and is two and two since 2022. Now Vivian has a black belt at BJJ, a black belt in Luta Livre, She's also a jungle fight alum. She's on a two fight losing streak and is only two and three since 2021, but she does have a four inch reach advantage. Now, both of these women have fought a, loss of, have fought a lot of the competition in the division. Jennifer has momentum, and Vivian is in desperation mode, especially if she wants to stay anywhere around the top 15. I do think Jennifer's gonna have the striking advantage, but Araujo is going to need to get Maya down, get the grappling going, look to tire Maya out and seek that submission victory. I do think she's gonna get a takedown. I, I will be interested to see if she could keep her down. Um, I like the trajectory Jennifer's on. She's been beating some good young up-and-coming talent. For that reason, I am taking Jennifer Maya. I am putting her on that parlay. We marking that ish down, and we getting that. Brent, Now, when I brought up or when I said shoot box, it made me think of Charles Oliveira, the eye cut. Dana said he was pissed that the the info got leaked probably because um, what's his name was the backup fire. Mateusz Gamrot. Gamrot's not getting the fight because no one wants to see that. We'd rather see Volk, Poirier, Gaethje, whoever fight him. And, uh, you know, he's pissed off about that. I suppose he was flying back coming to, you know. Let his uh, uh, disturbanceness be known, so to speak. But as I was thinking a shoot box, I was thinking about the team breaking the news, and then I was thinking about the USADA news, which I thought I had put in here, and maybe I did, and just didn't update it. Nope. But other interesting news before we get over the main event. Sorry for not covering this earlier, but let's just talk about it in this episode. USADA has announced that the UFC partnership will end at the end of the year going into 2024. Everyone on social media wants to jump into crazy conclusions. Oh, they're not going to test. Everyone's going to be juiced up, blah, 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 blah. And they're doing this because of Conor McGregor. They could be doing this because of Conor McGregor. But USADA's testing is is insane. We had all the picogram issues and you have to be in a six-month pool before you can fight when necessarily like a guy like Conor, yeah, he was on roids. You know, he he did it to recover from that nasty leg break. Does he need to have six-month clean testing to come back into fighting? Like, could we do two, three months? Does that make a difference? There's a lot of unknowns that no one's going to bring up and just assume that the UFC wants roids in the sport or something. I don't think that is the case. I do think they are trying to get McGregor in sooner than later, and who knows if he's going to be juiced up or not. I have no idea. The last time they made an exception was for Brock Lesnar, He then, after the fight, tested positive. Bunch of drama with that. And clearly Brock was on something. I do think that they will have another third-party tester that will just have different methods of doing so. I hope it doesn't ruin the sport. I'm confident it won't ruin the sport. I'm confident that they will keep testing and keep fighters healthy because this is a fighting game. We can't fuck around with that. But I think there will be a little bit loose on things where we're not getting guys who are testing for a picogram of a tainted substance or something like that. Um, But there is a lot to be determined. Nobody knows the facts of how this is going to play out, but it is a very interesting headline. And sorry I forgot that at the top of the show. But let's talk about the main event, man. We got Sadiq Super Yusuf, 30 years old, with a 13-2 record and the number 11 next to his name, taking on Edson Jr. Barboza. 37 years old with a 23-11 and 11 record and the number 13 next to his name. If you don't know, let me tell you. Anytime Edson steps in the octagon, it's fireworks, and you better be tuning in. Now add the fact we're getting a fan-favorite striker with an awesome striking ability in Yusuf, who is in his prime on a roll. This matchup makes for a certified banger. Now, breaking it down, Sadiq has a blue belt in BJJ. He's a Cage Fury, Titan FC, Brave, and Dana White Contender Series alum. He's on a two-fight winning streak. Both of them were last year, so he has not fought in 2023. I think on, on, see, I want to say Twitter again. On X, he does like not real professional fight breakdowns or whatever. Uh, They're really funny. They're really good. But you could tell he's been locked in for camp because he hasn't been doing it for a while. You know why? Because he's fighting junior fucking Barboza. Now Edson, he trains at of ATT. He has a black Brigitte in Muay Thai, a black belt in Taekwondo, and a brown belt in BJJ. He's tied for the most fight of the night bonuses in UFC history. He's tied with the greats Dustin Poirier, Frankie Edgar, and Nate Diaz. I mean, this guy puts on shows. He is tied with Melvin Guiard for the most knockouts in UFC lightweight division history with seven of them things. He had the 2012 knockout of the year against Terry team, the 2017 knockout of the year against Benil Dariush, very, very high quality fighter. He's a Ring of Combat alum and former champion. He's on a one fight winning streak and is two and two since 2021. 14 of his 23 wins are via knockout. And he does have a four-inch reach advantage. To be honest with y'all, win-lose we will probably not draw. Win or lose, I think he will break the record for most Fight of the Night bonuses in UFC history. This has Fight of the Night written all over it. The problem is is Edson in his prime versus the Edson now is definitely a different story. He has looked solid since he's moved down to featherweight, but I just moved up to featherweight, right? Up. Let me look. Now I'm confusing myself. Edson Barboza. He's been fighting at flyweight for a while, but he used to fight at lightweight. So he moved down, right? Yep. So he's looked good at featherweight. I just don't think at this point in his career, he's taken a few shots, right? Once you take a few shots, that brain's been rattled. It's easier to get a finish. I just don't think at this point in his career he's going to have what it takes to finish Super Yusuf, who's fucking 30 years old, in his prime. Sadiq is fast. He's also powerful. He has way less miles, so to speak, way less damage on him. The problem for Sadiq is Edson's leg kicks are some of the best we've ever seen, man. The power he possesses is out of this world. Now, both fighters have to be careful, right? Both guys have devastating blows that could make for a quick night in the octagon. The crazy thing is, is we're getting five rounds. So how wild do they go out the gates? Does someone look to get a finish? Are they going to be calm, cool, and calculated till the end of the fight? I'm not sure. But I am sure that this could be the biggest win on Sadiq's resume. He knows that. This is his opportunity. For that reason, I'm taking Super Yusuf but I am not putting that on a parlay, but golly, what a fucking main event, that fight, the Maya fight, the Jonathan, Adrian, uh, Yanes fight, really fired up, we're getting two young talents to kick off the main card, Christian Rodriguez, Cameron Saman, um, the TJ Brown fight should be fun, so solid little fight night card, but y'all better get ready, because shit's about to go down, all that drama and more, a stacked UFC 294 card, Abu Dhabi, lightweight rematch, Alexander the Great Volkanovsky, Islam Makachev, and it's an early start. Wake up, get your cup of coffee, little little Irish coffee, you know, whatever you're feeling, little little vodka OJ, maybe uh, a Bloody Mary, maybe a Caesar reason I'm saying that is I'm on sober October, so I I don't get to join the party. But golly, that's going to be awesome. And then we have no more Apex action after that. We have a UFC Fight Night Sao Paulo card. Three back-to-back-to-back cards to end uh, until the end of November. End of November, we're off due to the holidays. So strap in, get ready. Episode 19, I'm your host, Shane Gillette. See you next week.